the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week. It's the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm delighted to be here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions or life questions or pretty much anything else on your heart. I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions that way. If you're driving in your car on this really hot day, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the banner that says call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer and can use the hands-free function on your phone. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Hope you had a great week at church. Uh, we did. We had so many people here yesterday. It was almost scary. We, we got a very limited size facility and uh, we didn't have room for everybody in second service, especially in the other services. We had more people than we normally do as well. Um, people got saved yesterday. That's what it's all about. Others had an opportunity to really, really test their hearts. And I pray that happened at your church as well. Let me, before I get into some questions and while we wait for phone calls, um, let me also ask you for prayer for a couple of things. One uh, the message yesterday was really, really a hard one here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, it was about hell. And, uh, you know, you don't make that funny. You don't make it cute. You just tell people the truth. And as difficult as yesterday's Bible study was, I've told the church, I've tried to warn them now three or four weeks in a row. I purposely didn't say anything about it yesterday, but I'm sure they remember. Our next study, this coming Sunday, Luke chapter 17, the first 10 verses, is, in my opinion the single most difficult passage for a Christian to hear, to receive, and to let God transform, more difficult than any other passage in the New Testament. So I would appreciate everybody's prayers out there that the Spirit would move with great power and with great love because the subject of conversation in the first 10 chapters of Luke chapter 17, or the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 17 uh, those are, they're really difficult for us. I just have to be honest, they, they go against every fiber of our being who we are in the flesh and truly requires the power of God's Spirit to accept. So keep us in prayer. I would appreciate it very much. Let's go to some questions that have been sent in while we wait your phone calls. The first one comes from Todd. Uh, Todd says, isn't it true that almost all the early church fathers believed you could lose your salvation? 
why do you think you know more than they do? Um, Todd, I don't think anybody knows more or less. That's not the issue. I certainly don't think I know more than other people. But here's what we really have to understand about the early church fathers. Uh, The the fact that they lived uh, closer in time uh, to Jesus, to to the apostles, to the first century church, uh, doesn't mean that they were immune from error. I want you to hear that closely. It doesn't mean they were immune from error. We know by reading the book of Acts, we know even further by by reading especially the epistles of John, 1 John, but not just 1 John, but others as well, that there was already error and heresy that creeped into the church. And the fact that they lived very close to the time of Jesus didn't, didn't uh, exempt them from that. I think we've got to sort of change, Todd, the way we think. Now, I understand maybe that that being able to lose your salvation, walk away from it, is a pet doctrine of yours, um, um, uh, Armenianism, but but that's not what the Bible says. There isn't a single verse in the Scriptures that contradict what we were promised in Ephesians chapter 1, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit or a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, Todd, I'm not making the guarantee. I get a lot of questions about once saved, always saved on this program. I think everybody who ever answers Bible questions gets that question. But the the struggle, the thing that we have to wrestle with is, is, is the guarantee of God good enough for you? It doesn't matter if an early church father believed it or not. What does the Bible say? And once we decide what the Bible says, then it's incumbent upon us to stick with that explanation. So I don't know that it's true that almost all the early church fathers believed you could lose your salvation. I, I, I don't believe it is. I think I could find the same argument happened 2,000 years ago or 1,900 years ago that's that's happening now? Are we eternally secure, or can we lose our salvation? I think this is a question, Todd, that individually we have to answer for ourselves. We can't answer it for anybody else. If somebody says to me, Pastor Ron, can you lose your salvation? My response is, I don't want to. That's not ducking the issue, Todd. It just means that Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I say it this way, just be with Jesus. You know, when I'm with Jesus, I have no questions at all about my salvation. For the Christian who is sort of off and on in a relationship with the Lord, the Christian who is one day really close and on fire, the next day, you know, sort of doing his or her own thing and walking away from the Lord. Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit intends for them to feel insecure in their salvation. It's not God's fault that they've walked away. Jesus is still the same. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. But when we turn away from Jesus, the Holy Spirit purposely makes us feel as though something is wrong, because something is wrong. But the idea is to fix what's wrong, to come back to that place of security. You know, we are in the book of Hebrews on Friday nights. Now we're in chapter 11 But of course, I've already passed the passages in chapter 6, which talks about it's impossible for you if you have turned away from God. You've tasted the Holy Spirit, but now you've walked away. It's impossible to be brought back under repentance. If you read the context of that, that's a passage that is really, really secure. It cannot mean that anybody who sins, falls away from God, is stuck there forever. Peter is exhibit A. Peter denied the Lord, even after being warned by Jesus that he was going to do it, even in his self-confidence. No, I never will, even though all the others will, Lord. What we have to do is abide in Christ. Later in that 
same chapter, just a couple of verses, Paul says, but as for you, I have better hopes, better things, things that accompany salvation. And he's trying to encourage, exhort Jewish converts to Christianity who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but now tired of the persecution. They're in danger of returning to Judaism simply because they're tired of the battle. And Paul, who I believe to be the author of Hebrews, is telling them, hang in there. That's why things that accompany salvation are yours. So, Todd, I don't know more than the early church fathers, but like the early church fathers, we can all pick up our Bible and read what it says. Forget the interpretation. Read what it says. And if God says that he guarantees my salvation, if over and over we're told in the New Testament that Jesus wants us to feel secure, then we got to do it. Taught him 28 years, a little bit more than 28 years now in Christ. And I know my situation is rare. I was an older guy when I got saved, almost 40 years of age. But in 28 years, I've never had one moment's doubt about my salvation. Never one. It never occurred to me that I could lose my salvation or that God would snatch it away from me. It certainly never occurred to me that I wanted to walk away from the Lord. And I think that pleases the Lord a great deal. I think that's what faith is all about. Active faith. Faith that lives. And I think, Todd, when we worry about whether or not other people can lose their salvation, I think then we ought to do what Paul tells us to do, to examine our hearts daily. Not somebody else's heart. Our heart. Stop looking around at all the people who profess Christ and now seem to be living in sin or, or, or have actively turned their back on God. They were never guaranteed anything. God knows our hearts. That's one of the terrifying passages that we've been studying in Luke chapter 16 the last couple of weeks. Speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus said they justified themselves in the sight of men, but God knows their hearts. So Todd, this isn't a hill to die on. This isn't one of those things that we have to divide over. You're free to believe what you want to believe, but believe me, the early church fathers had a lot of doctrinal error, and there wasn't a whole bunch of fruit as a result of their doctrine. The Bible is just as fresh today, it's just as real, and it's just as alive as it was 2,000 years ago. Here is a question from Lindsay. Lindsay says, uh, Pastor Ron, I don't understand why God allows evil when he could do something about it. Lindsay, this is another question that I get quite often. Why doesn't God just get rid of evil? I want you to think about something, Lindsay. Uh, in your own life, you know what's been going on. What's the last sinful, evil thing that you've done? Now remember, Sinful is evil. It may not have been your heart, but when you sinned, God had to deal with it. So what's the last thing you did? Maybe you, in a moment of anger, called somebody a bad name. Maybe you gossiped about somebody or you listened to somebody gossip about someone. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you refuse to forgive That's evil, Lindsay. That's evil. Now, here's what we think of when we ask the question, why God allows evil. We think of, well, terrible things that happened. 9-11 was an evil thing. Um, The mass murders, the mass shootings that we seem now to experience on a semi-regular basis, those are evil things. A child is abducted or children are molested or a woman gets raped. Those are evil things. Why does God allow those things? The answer is simple. God is going to deal with all of those things one day. 
Today's just not that day. And Lindsay, the reality is, and this is something that we've got to be very sober-minded about, the reality is that if God decided today, okay, I've fed up with evil, that would mean Jesus is coming. It means he's going to take his church out of here. And then he's going to turn this world over to judgment. We call it the Great Tribulation. Evil exists. Certainly God knows that men and women choose evil. But remember what Peter said about God. He's patient, unwilling that any should perish. Jesus, you see, has a time schedule. As I said a moment ago, the time schedule is not today to deal with evil, but there is a day coming when evil is going to be completely vanquished. Now, Lindsay, go back to you personally. If you got so fed up with evil that you wanted God to end it all now, that means he'd have to deal with your evil. Now, as Christians, we can sin and ask for forgiveness. We can genuinely repent and be forgiven, be restored, fellowship, reconnected. But Lindsay, if God chose right now to deal with evil, it would mean that he would have to take people like you and people like me out if we ourselves have done any of those things. Think about the wife who speaks ill of her husband or a husband who cheats on his wife, who looks at pornography. Those are evil things. You want God to deal with that evil? What about a mom who raises her voice to her kids that have been entrusted to her by God? That's evil. When we do that, when we speak unkindly, that's evil. You want God just to take you out? Now, again, you're a Christian. I'm assuming you're listening to this program. It doesn't mean you'd go to hell. What it means is that Jesus would have to judge you in this life. And the objection to that, well, that's not really evil. You know the kind of evil I'm talking about. Lindsay, evil has been going on in this world from the very beginning. From Cain murdering his brother. And every day in this world, ever since, evil, when Satan is ruling and reigning, the prince of the air, the little g-god of this world. Have confidence that on his timetable, God will deal with all evil. When we go to heaven, no impure or evil person will enter into heaven. God's job is to walk with us through evil, empowering us to declare this glorious gospel of grace. And one day we're going to find out God's done with it. We're going to be out of here. The church will. And the great tribulation will break out. I want Jesus to come today, Lindsay. I really do. But who am I or who are you to rush him? Let me make a final comment on this. Um, and someone share with me that their difficulty in understanding, relating to a Father in Heaven was because that father in heaven wasn't there for them when their earthly father was sexually abusing this person as a child. And my response was God's heart broke that day, all those days. But look at you now. You're, you're a believer. You're on your way to heaven. And Jesus has set you free from your past. And that's because the Father so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And whosoever, anybody named Lindsay, who asks for forgiveness might be saved. So, Lindsay, I hope that gives you a little bit of perspective. Let's go to line one. We've got an anonymous caller. 
Thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, good to hear you. Um, I got a question about uh, divorce. From what I can tell from reading in the script in uh, the Gospels, the only reason that Jesus gives for divorce is infidelity. Now, it seems like Paul changed it up a little bit uh, in his writings. So, can you help me out here? What is what is truly if if the uh, the divorcing spouse leaves, but there's no infidelity, nothing else going on. At one point, can the surviving spouse move on and remarry and not be, you know, in, in violation of the covenant? Okay, I got you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. And I can hear the tenderness in your voice. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, biblically, you know, if we take a strict interpretation, which is what I normally do, um, of, of the scriptures. Um, um, Jesus said, uh, a man who divorces his wife, and remember it was a different culture then, it was the, the men who had all of the power, and and he was dealing with rabbis who, who were arguing about the meaning of divorce and what were the proper grounds for divorce. Um, and, and here's what Jesus said, if you divorce your wife except for marital unfaithfulness, then you're guilty of adultery. And he was addressing a very specific, a very Jewish context. Paul, and remember his writings, he didn't change anything. He was given more light by the Holy Spirit because it's the same God that's writing it. Paul said, if the unbeliever leaves, let him or let her leave. So that would put abandonment in that place. If somebody violates the marriage covenant by abandoning you, then um, um, there's nothing you can do about it. Now, Jesus also added another thing. He said that Moses permitted divorce. Now, this was the excuse that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had given him. They said, well, 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 why did Moses command us to divorce? He said, Moses didn't command divorce. Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of heart. So a couple of things that we have to deal with in terms of, of, of divorce. One, we've got to realize that divorce happens almost always because of sin or because of hard heart. So if if you as a believer sin, you have a hard heart, and you just walk away from your marriage without biblical grounds, then in fact you are violating the promise that you made to God. And if that's the case, Paul says you must remain unmarried. Now, our culture doesn't do that even anymore. I've told a lot of people, you're leaving your husband or you're leaving your wife and you have no grounds to do so, do you understand that that means you can never remarry? Well, I'm in so much pain, I just want to get out of there, so I don't care. But they always end up caring. And usually, anonymous, they end up remarrying. And the problem then, of course, they've taken sin into their new marriage. Now, let me reverse this a little bit. If... You are the victim of somebody who has left you and divorced you without biblical grounds. Then they violated the covenant. You are without guilt. You're without any grounds for condemnation. And that means you're immediately free to remarry. I think the difficulty we have, Jesus, when he's talking about marriage, he's dealing according to the law. Jesus' ministry is very, very Jewish. It's, it's, it's very law-centric. And because it is, um, we have to realize as we get more information in the New Testament about God's heart toward marriage and the the roles and the application of marriage, then uh, we understand that we've got a whole new principle to apply, not the Jewish law, but we've got grace to apply. And so what we do is we always understand that the victim is always free to move on with their life. The fact that somebody left you and they don't want to be married to you, even though there are no grounds, they're going to have a wrestling match with Jesus at some point in the future. But when you have been abandoned, whether believer or unbeliever, you are innocent, you're the victim, and you are free to move on with your life, and you're free to do so as the Spirit of God leads. Now let me say one other thing in a couple of minutes that we've got left on this, this break or this side of the program. 
Um, I always encourage people not to worry so much about moving on with their life and start dating or those kind of things. Don't worry about getting married. Uh, but, but when you've been victimized and your heart is grieving, then 100% of your efforts ought then to be spent on reconnecting to Jesus and getting so close to him that he becomes your comforter. He's your husband. He's the one who supplies all of your needs. And as you do that, what will happen then is that God will free you as he prepares you for another relationship. It's not good for men to be alone. Marriage is a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a noble thing. Um, but just nobody has to rush. And I think sometimes in our church culture, we're too interested in in starting over. Got to get my life rebuilt. Uh, let the Lord lead and guide. But when there is an interest in somebody and uh, he or she loves the Lord, then you are more than free to remarry and get on with a new life. Any pastor that wouldn't remarry under those circumstances has missed the heart of God. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions anonymous i hope that that gave you some hope and some direction Uh, just remember that god never ever punishes victims. Jesus is the original victim's advocate, and he wants you to be free to walk with him, and having a wife is a good thing. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas, and talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure, Jim. Can you give... Yes, sir. Can you give me your take on Jerry Seville... And I'll hang up and uh, listen to you. Thank you. I can. Uh, boy, I haven't heard Jerry Seville's name for a very, very long time. Uh, Jerry Seville is a prosperity teacher. He was um, uh, sort of the right-hand man uh, to the Kenneth Copeland ministry for a very, very long time. Uh, his doctrine is horrible, Jim. He is a prosperity teacher, a false teacher. And uh, unless there's news out there that he has repented of his false teaching, um, uh, he is uh, skull and crossbones poison. He's somebody that you need to stay away from. The prosperity uh, teaching, the false teaching, has hurt so many people. We pastors who are faithfully doing our best to teach the word, we have to clean up the broken pieces of people's lives who trusted in it. And Jerry Savelle is one of the worst. He, along with, uh, I said, Kenneth Copeland, uh, but also uh, Jesse Duplantis and, and some of those, they traveled in the same circle. Uh, they're just people to stay away from. Danger, danger, danger. So thanks, Jim, for calling. I appreciate it. Go to my next question. Anonymous. Is sexual sin worse than other sins? And what do I do if I have committed sexual sin? Um, Yeah, sexual sin is worse. Now, by that, I don't mean that um, um, God says, oh, I'm done with you uh, if you've committed sexual sin. But what sexual sin does, the Apostle Paul makes it clear, he says all other sins a man commits are sins committed outside his body, But when a man sins sexually, he's sinning against his own body, sinning against the Holy Spirit. So in that context, Anonymous, uh, sexual sin is worse. It gives Satan uh, a a deeper stronghold into our hearts. Um, Anonymous, if you've looked at pornography, you know how Satan just brings those images back and back and back. 
if you've cheated on somebody, if you've had sex with somebody that you're not married to. Satan is always is, is always adding fuel to the fire of your imagination. And so what, what sexual sin does is gives the enemy a, a, a wide opening to destroy us. And the one thing that we all need to be aware of is that he is so powerful, we don't need to give him any help. He wants to kill us, destroy us anyway, uh, but we don't want to give him help. So in that sense, sexual sin is worse than other sin. However, all sin separates us from God. All sin condemns us, thus the need for being born again in Jesus Christ. Now, if you've committed sexual sin, and your question is phrased in a way that makes it clear that you have, what you do is do what John tells you to do in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and will purify you from all unrighteousness. Now, here's what John means. Confessing your sin just doesn't mean say, yeah, I've done it. It means agreeing with God that this is evil, that it's bad. I've got to stop. I'm sorry, Jesus. Please forgive me. And he will, and instantly the stain of that sin is gone. Instantly the stain of that sin is as far from you as east is from west, and the power of the Holy Spirit is once again at your disposal so that you can combat temptation when it comes. Now let's be Real candid here, Anonymous. The enemy's not going to give up. I said earlier, he gives you, you give him a, a deeper foothold, a stronghold in your heart, in your mind. He's not going to give up. So you need to embrace the fact that you're now in a war. And you've got to decide that if I'm not going to sin against God anymore, I've got to replace that sin with something and then, then you realize the only thing to replace it with is the Word of God. You're tempted. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've given people this exact counsel. Instead of taking your telephone with you to bed, take your Bible and put it near your bed. And when those thoughts come back, turn on the light, open up the Bible and read it. Instead of grabbing your phone and looking at pornography, open the Word of God. You're in a, in a battle. The weapons we fight with are spiritual weapons. And because this sin, sexual sin, gives the enemy that opportunity to destroy, to wreak havoc, then we've got to understand the nature of the battle we're in, and we've got to fight like crazy. And it means that you've got to say no to your mind. You've got to say no to those images over and over and over until one day you'll be in a place where you can experience victory over that, and you can go on and deal with the regular sins that we all commit. But, but yeah, from that context, sexual sin is worse. The consequences are greater. The spiritual warfare is greater. But fortunately, greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. And the way we deal with it is to be constantly vigilant, always on guard. Peter says the enemy... He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And and he's going to use your past against you. Paul and I, when we counsel together, we have a, an image that's helped us a lot uh, in dealing with other people. It's like there's a tape recorder. Now, Paul and I are a little older. A lot of people don't even know what a tape recorder is now, but in your mind is a tape recorder, and the devil's always pushing play. And when he pushes play... We've got to fight and push stop. And when we do that, then the power of the Holy Spirit will meet us and we don't have to give in to sin anymore. So all you need to do, Anonymous, is repent. Just tell them, I'm so sorry. Now, one other comment here, and I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me now or not. If it applies, great. But if your sexual sin is you've cheated on a spouse? Oh, you need to make it right with them. Confess your sins to God, but you've got to rebuild your relationship on a firm foundation. And that foundation is truth and honesty 
that means you're going to be willing to accept the consequences. When you confess to a spouse that you've been unfaithful, there is a likelihood, a chance that that spouse will leave. You see, you'll have Jesus if he or she does. You're in for the fight of your life. It's a fight that we've been guaranteed victory. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question from another anonymous one. He says, or she says, how can there be a clear objective wrong when people committing that wrong think they are right? Well, what we think about sin, Anonymous, matters not at all. If someone is doing something that is just wrong, and remember, only God gets to define right and wrong. And our minds are deceived. Uh, We rationalize why we sin. We can make sin look so attractive. We can almost make it sound righteous. But the fact that somebody thinks I'm okay doesn't mean they are. Earlier we had the call from Anonymous about divorce. I've had people sitting in my office telling me that they know it's wrong, but God wants them to be happy, and they're going to do it, and God has told them it's okay. And I tell them there's going to be a great price to pay for this. And usually they just sort of dismiss me, and later they'll, oh, I've never been happier. But, but then God's discipline catches up. Why? Because there is a clear objective wrong. And since God is the only one who gets to make the rules, as human beings, it's our job to obey the rules. And if and when we do not, we need to expect that there's going to be consequences. And whether they think they were right or wrong doesn't matter at all. God gets to choose. God is the only one that gets to choose. Now, anonymous, I get a lot of flack when I tell people this. Well, you know, the, the world is changing and things are different. We live in a time now where uh, Isaiah chapter 5 describes this time when good is called evil and evil is called good. The book of Judges says that men did what seemed right in their own eyes. But believe me, we all have a conscience given to us by God. We know what's right and what's wrong. And what we're experiencing in our culture is a rebellion against that which is right. And we have decided that wrong is right. Loving you is wrong. I don't want to be right, the old country song said. But that doesn't absolve us of guilt. In fact, the more vociferous we become, in proclaiming that what we're doing is right, the more accountable to God we really are. So it doesn't matter what somebody thinks. It doesn't matter what somebody feels. What matters is, thus saith God. And that's about as objective in terms of right and wrong as you can possibly be. So I hope that makes sense to you. I hope I captured the essence of your question. Peter asks, uh, Pastor Ron, why do believers have to be judged if our sins are forgiven? Well, Peter, it's a different kind of judgment. It's a judgment for rewards, uh, not a judgment for salvation. First Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter 12 talks about the Bema seat. It's, it's a, a picture in the ancient Greek world uh, of the, the Olympics, you know, when the athletes would compete, the winners would step on this, this stage and receive their crowns. Well, that's the kind of judgment that we believers will go through. Again, it's not a judgment for salvation because our sins have already been judged on the person of Jesus Christ. But then we're going to be in a place where our works are measured. First Corinthians 3 says, whether they were good or good for nothing is a literal translation in the Greek. I'll give an example. If I am a really rich guy and I feel really guilty one day, so I gave like a billion dollars to the church. 
I'm still waiting for that rich guy to come to Calvary Chapel, by the way. But the reason I gave that billion dollars to the church was because I felt guilty. That's a work that will be burned up in this time of testing. No reward for that. On the other hand, you could be really, really poor, and you gave God what seems to the world like a little bit, but you did it because you loved God with all your heart, and it was all you had to give. Then there's going to be huge awards in heaven for that. You know, I, I don't know, I don't want to get on a tangent here, Peter, but um, I, I don't know who gives what here at Calvary Chapel. The only time I see uh, any money that comes into to our church is when, when it comes in the mail. And there are some people that send money in the mail regularly, and, and I know their circumstance. I know they're having a hard time. Single moms, my goodness, single moms struggle so mightily. And, and yet I'll see faithful giving by some of those single moms, and I know that giving hurts. But I know they're giving because they love God. They're huge, huge, huge rewards. Conversely, if I get a big check in the mail, now I'm thrilled, but if somebody's rich enough to give a big check, but they gave it for any other reason than they love God, there's no reward for that. If you serve in church, and you serve because you feel like you have to, instead of serving because you want to. Hey, did I say Luke 17 is going to be a hard study this week? Believe me, it's about this very issue. You serve just because you're so grateful for what God has done for you. Huge rewards if you serve because you feel like you have to, or you'd feel guilty if you didn't. No rewards at all. Peter, my point is that's the kind of judgment that believers are going to undergo. It's a judgment for receiving and losing rewards. It is not a judgment for salvation at all. What we do on this earth will matter to all of us in ways that the Bible isn't clear about, but it will matter to all of us when we get to heaven. I think the more faithful we are here with whatever it is we've been given, notice I didn't say faithful when we get much, faithful with whatever it is we've been given, I think that will increase in some supernatural way our capacity to enjoy heaven. Now, heaven's going to be great for everybody, but when we receive those crowns and we cast them at his feet, believe me, we don't want to miss out on anything that God has. So, Peter, I hope that makes sense. The works will be judged whether they're good or or good for nothing. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, Brittany asks a question that's been asked for 2,000 years. Uh, how can we know for sure Jesus was dead rather than just in critical condition? Well, we've got overwhelming witness, Brittany. You know, the only people that made up stories about you know, the swoon theory, Jesus wasn't really dead. He just fainted, and later he was revived, and all of that. Uh, th- those were enemies of God. Uh, that's a pseudo-liberal intellectual argument that's never carried any water. Think about something. Would Peter and James and John and all of those, would they have endured everything they endured for a lie? I mean, they would know if they hid the body, or they would know if Jesus didn't really die, would they lose their head for a lie? We also know that Jesus' side was pierced with a sword and the water rushed out. Not just blood, but blood and water. In other words, they did that to make sure he was dead. He was laid in a tomb his body covered with 75 pounds of spices. Why would they do that if he wasn't dead? How long would he have to be unconscious before he would be strong enough to get rid of the 75 pounds of spices and all that tight wrapping around his body to be set free and run away? 
The death of Jesus Christ We have so much historical evidence that no honest scholar, no honest person can possibly deny it. We know he was dead. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Brittany, don't apologize for it. Let's go to the phones. We've got uh, another another anonymous call online too. You're on the air. Thanks for calling. Are you there? Oh, anonymous hung up. Anonymous, sorry, we missed your call. Um, we got a little bit of time left. You can call back if you are so inclined. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is. A question from Amy. Uh, Pastor Ron, I don't really get what we can learn from Job. What is it all about? Um, you know, Job, uh, <laughs> he didn't really get what he could get from Job. Um, you know, I think the book is um, simply uh, a book, you know, the, the question is asked why. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why am I suffering? Why are my friends bugging me? Why are they accusing me of, of, of doing something bad? Um, what we can really learn from Job, Job who said, before I'd only heard about you, but now I've seen you. And I repent in sackcloth and ashes. We can learn from Job that we can't reach God on our own works. Job was the most righteous man of his age. And he could look at that and say, if only there was a man to stand between me and God. A mediator. So I think from Job we learn not to ask why. And instead, Amy, we learn to ask who. It's Jesus. So um, it's, it's great study. You know, Amy, one thing I can suggest, we taught through the book of Job. Go to calvaryessay.com and Listen to teachings. I think you will be blessed. Uh, let's go to Ray calling on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Happy Monday. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Um, I have a question and wonder how you uh, think about this uh, business. Since there's no more tears in, in you know, when we die, for you know, and... and uh, hopefully we go to heaven, even if we're smoking, you know, <laughs> to get in. Um, but anyway, when you were talking about the uh, the uh, crowns, et cetera, you know, and boy, you, you've mentioned many times that, boy, you don't want to miss any crowns, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know For so sure. The, the, the reason that you don't is, uh, I don't know, I can't say that that would be, uh, pride or something like that, but it, you know we have all these emotions here, and we don't have any other way to express it. But once we're on the other side of this flesh body, um, and no more tears, and we face a judgment, I mean, what, are we going to be humiliated because of that? And I'm, everybody's going to see it. I mean, I mean, how do you, thank, how do you thank view you. that situation? You know, like eh, thank you, Ray. Got Ray, let me get to the answer, Ray, because I'm, we're running out of time. We got another caller. We won't be humiliated at all. We'll look into those eyes and we'll be fine. Uh, we'll lose rewards. It will be sad. I can't explain how it's going to be sad, but it's going to be sad. But then Jesus is going to wipe away the tears. I think what we need to do is focus on this life about what we can do to serve, to honor God, and we're about getting rewards instead of losing them. Let's take our last caller, Matthew, from San Antonio Online 2. Matthew, thanks for calling, and thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Can you hear me? I'm sorry, sir. I'm on the road right now. Yep, I can hear you fine, Matthew. we got three minutes. Okay, great. Um, Just a quick question for you, sir. I've always had a problem with... uh, uh, self-confidence and uh, low self-esteem. Thought about suicide quite a few times. I know that we can't earn our way into heaven by works, but I guess I just feel like, in essence, 
short version, I just feel like I'm a mistake. Like, it's not necessarily I have to do works, but I just feel like the fact that I'm even born is a mistake. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even be here. And w- what are your thoughts on that? And just any insight you have on that? Okay, Matthew, thank you. And I'm going to need a lot longer than the two minutes that we have left to answer that. So what I'm going to ask you to do, Matthew, is tune in to the program. First thing tomorrow, my producer's now making a note to deal with this because it's it's so important that you understand uh, your value to God. God doesn't make mistakes. People on earth do. Uh, unfortunately, there are people that are in positions of authority over us, people that are supposed to love us, who treat us like we're mistakes. But here's what you do. You take your low self-esteem and turn it into Jesus' esteem. You understand that God loves you so much that he chose you. He didn't have to take you. He chose you. Yesterday, we did a a, a dedication for two brothers who've been adopted into a family in our church. And, And we talk about how special adoption really is. Well, your adoption by God was a mistake. He knows everything about you and he loves you, infinitely so. And he established your value. And the closer you get to him and the more you know about his love for you, the more you'll understand your value and your self-esteem will be turned into humility. Your low self-esteem will be turned into humility. And then you can be among those, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, I've got a lot more. Please listen right at the top of the program tomorrow. Um, God really wants to minister to your heart. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel. Last sweet summer devotion tonight, Leisha Brown. Be here at 7 o'clock. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.